Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obamacare is illegal immigrants. Uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Hello, I'm Drew Sheldrick, and thanks for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision. My guest this week is Dr. Ellen Haring, the CEO of the Service Women's Action Network in Washington, D.C., and a senior fellow at Women in International Security, where she directs the Combat Integration Initiative Project. She's also a retired Army colonel and an adjunct associate professor at Georgetown University, where she teaches courses on human security and women and peace and security. Ellen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You're taking part in an event here in Sydney on July 17, looking at the Me Too movement and the military. Last year's sexual assault in the US military increased by almost 38% according to the Pentagon's own report. Why do you think the Me Too and Time's Up movements have had very little impact on the rates of sexual assault in the military? Well, first of all, I think they may have had an impact and it might not have been the kind of impact we were hoping that it would have. Um, The impact may have been twofold. It could be that more women are emboldened and men, um, but mostly it's women have been emboldened to report. And so that perhaps could explain the increase in numbers. Um, The other thing is that this may actually represent a backlash against the movement and against um, women for standing up um, and trying to raise awareness or bring attention to this problem. So it it could be twofold. It could be a backlash and that there could be an increase, an actual increase in the number of incidents, or it could be that women are just uh, more likely to report now. So when you say a a backlash, a backlash uh, from whom or towards what? Well, there's a sense from men that many men feel like they are um, being blamed, that they are somehow or another being cast as perpetrators, um, and that um, unfairly in many cases, but there's just kind of a sense of anger about or or threat, a degree of threat. Um, It's interesting because I've talked to my own sons who are in their 20s about this topic, and they've said... They feel like it's like they're being looked at as though somehow or another they're perpetrators um, when they're just, you know, regular uh, people who um, have kind of been caught up in this vortex of this conversation. And somehow or another, they feel like they're being looked at as um, potential perpetrators. Right. And so there's this backlash against that that okay. idea. Okay. Have you found Me Too a difficult issue to navigate from a military perspective? We've, we've had academics on the podcast previously who've raised concerns about the movement despite its successes because it casts women broadly as victims. And it occurs to me that uh, given that, you know, a large part of your job is advocating for women to be able to serve in combat roles, for example, I mean, do you share that concern? Um, No, not really. Um, If anything, I see it as it's casting uh, many men in in the position of perpetrators. Right. Um, So, you know, the the percentages of men that do this and the percentages of women who are victims are actually – too high, but you know, it's the average person doesn't have this experience. Okay. So, no, I, I, in fact, that's what I was talking about in the previous question. It's more that men feel like they are being characterized as perpetrators as a result of the the hashtag MeToo movement. 
Uh, you're also involved um, uh, with Swan at the moment as part of a, an open lawsuit looking at um, uh, the segregation of men and women uh, in the Marine Corps um, in combat units. Can you explain what uh, your involvement is on that case? Sure. We have actually, it's a long uh, running lawsuit. It was launched in 2012 and it was against the combat exclusion policy. The pol- that policy at the time was the one that kept women out of ground combat jobs. When the policy was overturned in 2013 and then the, the services were directed to admit women in 2016, um, they put in place a few policies that um, kind of structural impediments to the full integration of women into those previously closed jobs. Um, so our lawsuit has continued, even though the policy was overturned, and it has been amended to try to get at those structural impediments that ha- that still exists. And one of those structural impediments to women's full integration is in the Marine Corps, where the Marine Corps continues to segregate men and women during initial entry training. We see that as deeply problematic because men and women should be training together right from the moment that they join, not women separated and segregated into their own little um, platoon in a different area of the installation. Um, Men and women need to be able to see each other and they need to know that each other are doing the exact same things. So our lawsuit um, has been amended to get at things like that. Um, and it's moving forward in the courts right now. Uh, surface women's reproductive health is another area you've worked quite extensively on at SWAN. Can you explain why that's a major priority for the network? Actually, it, it hadn't been a big priority until about a year ago. Um, a number of organizations that work on reproductive health had been telling us uh, there was a problem with uh, birth control access in the military. And those of us who have served, I never had a problem accessing birth control. Um, so we decided to do a study to determine what were the areas of need relative to reproductive care. So we did a, a pretty big study last year. We published the report just this past January. And what we found was very surprising to me was we found very high rates of infertility among service women and women veterans. So that's why we took that on as a big um, kind of a policy challenge this year. We've been working with members of Congress to try to get um, legislation that would require DOD to do some research in this area because, in fact, when we asked DOD, well, what is the rates of infertility? They didn't know the last comprehensive women, uh, comprehensive women's reproductive care research was done in 1989, a long time ago. Um, so they, they don't know. And now Congress is going to direct that they actually do some research in this area to try to determine are women extremely who serve in the military at, at greater risk for infertility, and if so, why? What's causing it? The other thing that came up, though, with that was that we heard from quite a few men, um, military men, that said, actually, I'm the one with the fertility problem really? in okay. our relationship. So when we asked Congress to um, require the, the study, we've asked them to look at both men and women to determine if there's some kind of exposures um, that, that men and women experience when serving in the military that's causing high rates of infertility. Your organization filed a court brief last year supporting military service of transgender individuals uh, in a legal challenge to President Trump's so-called trans ban. Why did Swan decide to get involved with that particular case? Well, we represent all service women, um, transgender service women, as well as every other service woman. Um, And we'd been approached by a number asking for support. And of course, we supported them. And we um, worked pretty extensively with the law firm to develop what's called an amici brief or amicus brief, um, which is a friends of the court, which is basically our organization um, uh, providing information to the court in support of that um, opposition to that ban. 
I think I saw overnight that uh, there might have been some movement, I think, in the House of Representatives um, on that particular case as well. I mean, are you um, uh, hopeful that, that, that there may be a political um, way to fix this rather than a legal um, one? Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, it was, it was very surprising the number of um, votes to eliminate that ban. Um, it, it pretty overwhelmingly passed in the House. And I suspect now, of course, the House is leans Democratic right now. Um, and it will have to go through the Senate as well. So that might be a, a stopping point um, because that is leaning Republican at this point. But certainly that was, to me, that was a good, positive sign that we are not going to, you know, bar transgender um, people from serving in the military. Uh, you've worked with uh, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, one of the uh, Democratic presidential hopefuls um, with your work at Swan. How did that um, relationship come about? Well, that actually predates my time with the organization, um, but she's been a longtime supporter of military women. I don't know how it initially started, but when I first came on board in 2015, I guess, um, we were already working with her on a number of um, changes or modification to the Uniform Code of Military Justice to try to get at the problem military sexual assault, specifically as it relates to um, victim care and um, uh, pursuing perpetrators. Uh, obviously, on top of um, uh, advocating for um, women who are currently serving, you obviously do a lot of work with veterans as well. What are the kind of issues that you tackle in terms of um, uh, women veterans? So interestingly, we have found that, of course, what happens to you on active duty follows you into the, your veteran uh, life. Uh, most of the women that ask us for assistance as veterans are, are women who have experienced sexual harassment, sexual assault while they were in the military. And now they're veterans and they're trying to cope or make sense of, of the experiences that they had. So a lot of the, of the women veterans seek us out because they're looking for assistance with um either their veterans' claims related to sexual assault, or they're looking for mental wellness resources. So we do a lot of um, referring of women veterans to uh, retreats, uh, retreat programs, alternate uh, types of therapy programs, um, but a, a big focus is on mental wellness for women veterans. Um, with candidates like uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, who we just mentioned, um, and veterans like Tulsi Gabbard and Pete Buttigieg in the race for uh, the election in 2020, are you hopeful that some of the issues that we've spoken about today might get some proper consideration and debate in the, in the lead up to the next election? Actually, they have with the current Congress, which now has seven women veterans, four in the House and three in the Senate. And the women in the House have already formed, it's called the Service Women's and Women Veterans Congressional Caucus. Um, they formed in May, and they're already beginning to meet. Um, in fact, there's a, a roundtable coming up at the end of July that I won't make to, but my colleague, Lori Manning, will be attending that for SWAN. Um, so I, I do think that having not just veterans, but women veterans in um, both the House and the Senate is good for service women and women veterans. Uh, aside from the, the Congress, how would you rate the, the sort of current administration's uh, engagement with the, the US military and veterans groups at the moment? I don't know how I would rate them because they've had very little interaction with, at least with organizations like mine or any other uh, service women or women veterans organizations. Um, they may be interacting with some of the bigger um, um, predominantly male veteran organizations, but I'm not aware of it. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us today and enjoy the rest of your time here in Australia. Thank you. If you'd like to hear Dr. Ellen Herring discuss Me Too and the military with some other world-leading experts in this field, Sydney Ideas are hosting a panel discussion on Wednesday, July 17 at the University of Sydney. We'll put a link with registration information on the webpage of this episode. Thanks this week to the Babamara Brass Band and Ketzer for their musical contributions and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 